How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. As we sit here on the eve of the 20th anniversary of arguably the worst day in this nation's history, we reflect. Everyone reflects in their own way about 9-11, and certainly 20 years removed from that day does nothing to dull the memories, the thoughts, the smells, or the visuals of that Tuesday morning two decades ago. We never forget. That promise we have kept since we made it all the way back then. We will never forget, and we haven't. As we remember those that perished, including those who selflessly gave their lives to save the lives of others, we pay tribute. For responders who responded to the 9-11 attacks, these anniversaries are always challenging. I know for myself, every single detail of that response that day is as clear as it was the day after. As we reflect on the loss encountered that day. Personally, I feel that it is our duty to those that went before us to reflect on what we have accomplished since that fateful day to ensure we would never experience anything like that again in our lifetime. Joining me today to discuss 9-11 and how we have evolved as a response community are three experts in the industry. Each of these gentlemen were directly involved in command and oversight on the day of the attack and were instrumental in rebuilding the system in the days and years that followed. Each of them sit on the Verizon First Responder Advisory Council, and we are extremely fortunate to have them with us today. Mr. Salvatore Cassano spent over 44 years in the FDNY and held every uniformed rank prior to his appointment as Fire Commissioner in 2010. Prior to that role, he served as the FDNY's Chief of Department the highest ranking uniformed officer overseeing many of the agency's most important bureaus, including fire and EMS operations, training, safety, fire prevention, and communications. Before that, he served as chief of operations, a position he was appointed to immediately after September 11, 2001. Both chief of operations and chief of department, Commissioner Cassano played a crucial role in rebuilding the department in the wake of September 11th. Dr. Jerry Hauer is a leading expert in emergency response, emergency management, and crisis planning. He has served as both Commissioner of the New York State Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services and Commissioner for the New York City Office of Emergency Management. Notably, he was Director of the Office of Public Health Preparedness and Senior Advisor to the Secretary for National Security and Emergency Management during and after the events of September 11, 2001 and the nation's anthrax crisis. Mr. Edward Plauger. Mr. Edward Plauger's career as a fire service professional spans more than 40 years. He served 24 years with the Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department. After retiring as Deputy Fire Chief, he was appointed Fire Chief of Arlington County Fire Department, where he led the county's response efforts to the 9-11 attacks on the Pentagon. Gentlemen, it's a long read-in, but thank you so much for joining me. Commissioner Cassano, you had the daunting task of rebuilding a department that was decimated by the attack. As you focused in on that task, what did you know needed immediate attention 
as we move forward in preparing for the changed world of emergency service response. Well, Mike, as you as you mentioned, our department was devastated. We lost 343 members of the department, over 4,400 years of experience. And the, the people that we lost, like uh, our chief of department, uh, Peter Gancy, our first deputy fire commissioner, Bill Feehan, our uh, two of our most experienced assistant chiefs, uh, Donald Burns and Jerry Barbara, the people that were going to lead this rebuilding effort, it really, you know, set us back on our heels. But uh, we knew that as a, as a fire department in the state of New York, we were going to have to rebuild. We were going to have to redesign the department because of all the new challenges we faced. So um, from September until about March, when we, we were still heavily involved in the, in the rescue effort, our main focus was on getting our staffing back up. We had a new probie class coming in, uh, but we did not know how many other people were going to sign up. There was a new test coming out. And we weren't sure that people were going to really want to join the FDNY in light of what happened to us. It was right there in plain sight for everybody to see on TV. And, you know, the days and the weeks that followed, the funerals and memorials. So we weren't sure. Well, we're going to get people to join up this fire department. We put out a call for a list. And we had a record number of people apply for the job. And right then and there, we knew we were on our way to at least having the staffing we would need down the road to rebuild. And then in March of 2002, we brought McKinsey and company on to actually do a very deep dive into the events of September 11th and also what went right, what went wrong, what section, what areas do we need to improve in. And, and they really gave us a roadmap of where we needed to go to rebuild the department, such as our operations center, when I went back to headquarters on that night, our operations center was like a small little telephone answering service, just about, for the largest fire department in the country. It was unacceptable. We rebuilt it. Uh, we have a state-of-the-art operations center where we handle any major emergency. That was a big step. Uh, we knew we had to train our new members. We increased our uh, training in every rank in the job, from probationary firefighter to our highest-level chiefs. Everybody got increased training. Uh, to make up for that lost experience. And we can go on and on. We, we, we rebuilt our Marine Division. Uh, at that time, we were in the process of cutting down on our large boats because we had less piers. We figured we would need less firefighting capabilities and faster boats. Well, on September 11th, all the water mains were destroyed in Lower Manhattan, and we needed fireboats pumping water for days on end. In fact, we brought a fireboat out of retirement to help us pump water. And we knew that we certainly would not be able to operate in the city of New York without large fireboats again. So we rebuilt with two large fireboats. One is 343, and the other one is Marine 9. 140-foot uh, fireboats, 50,000 gallons of water per minute, state-of-the-art um, center, medical facilities on board. I mean, these are just a few of the things that we did to rebuild the department. But we certainly did not only rebuild, we re redesigned it. Um, you know, as my good friend Joe Pfeiffer, who was the first chief on the scene, said, um, we're first responders, but we want to be first preventers. So we deep dived into terrorism awareness for all of our members in the department, not only our uniform, but our civilian, so that if we can prevent an attack from happening, it's much easier than mitigating it. So, Mike, those are just a couple of the things, but 
I will tell you that the biggest help that we did is we built our staff. We put a great team together. We increased our staff chiefs because we were going to need help in every area. And we were together from 2001 in September. Well, we, we promoted everybody in 2002 until I retired in 2014. That staff was intact, and that's what helped us to be on the same page. That's not to say there weren't differences of opinion, but at the end of the day, we got ideas from everybody and how we were going to move forward. And having a staff together for that long was a major, major help in moving us forward. And I can say right now to this day, our department is better prepared, better equipped, and better trained than ever before. We took the terrible event of September 11th, and we redesigned our department to make sure that if it happens again, we'll be more prepared than we were 20 years ago. As I said, it was daunting on so many different levels, and there were so many needs, and I can't even imagine what that was like. The emotional loss, so many you know, comrades and friends and all of these individuals, but then to be tasked in saying, okay, now I have to put this together. And we look back you know, to this day uh, as we move forward in, in how we're preparing, and communications always comes up. And I know that on 9-11, uh, there was a lot said about communications and failures and things uh, to that nature. What are your thoughts on communications and interoperability? Well, as you said, there was many documented things about the communications. But I will, I will say this. Uh, when we listened to recordings, there, there were certainly recordings of, uh, of people hearing messages to get out, leave the building. Um, so we've, we've recorded, we have those recorded. But certainly we needed stronger radios. We needed radios with more channels. We needed interoperability radios so that if we needed to talk to the NYPD or if we needed to talk to mutual aid, we could do that. And the, as I was telling you, I was on a project at that time and it was to rebuild a radio that we had taken out of the field. Uh, we had a radio that was not analog. It was digital and digital didn't work for us the way we wanted to point to point. So we took it out of service. And on September 11th, we were in the process of getting it back in. Unfortunately, because of the events, we didn't get it back in until February of 2003. But that radio was more powerful. Uh, we had a, a PD channel in there so that it was interoperable with the NYPD. We did keep a digital channel in there because digital channel does work uh, in more building penetration. And, and I can tell you that I'm proud that they have just put out a new radio in the FDNY. And this is available. I'm not going to tell you manufacturers, but these are, radios are available anybody the radio that they just put into the field has an unbelievable amount of channels over 1200 channels but it gives us the ability to talk to people in new jersey who may come from mutual aid westchester county long island certainly we have many channels with the nypd some we can listen to some if they turn them on we can talk to each other i i can't tell you mike how important interoperability is to handle an event and as I and I've said many many times, interoperability starts at the command post. You need everybody at this command post that's involved in the mitigation of that effort to be side by side with each other, talking to each other, sharing ideas, so that we use resources at to the best of our ability. We don't duplicate effort. That's an important part of what we didn't do on September 11th that we do now at every event. PD fire. OEM, and if there's other events that need any other agencies 
they're there at the command post as well. So while our radios and our telephone, you know, our phones need to communicate with each other, we need to be at the command post together first and foremost to ensure that we know what each other agency is doing. And I can tell you, it's it's important that we do that, and they they are doing that now through many drills we've held over the last twenty years. Without question, I I, I think keeping with that point, interoperability takes on so many different meanings. You know, from the surface level of two-way radio capabilities to the broader meaning of just how we coordinate across disciplinary lines. Emergency management, and I'm using air quotes there, has always existed. But to me, the title and the description, credibility, and the responsibility came into better focus immediately after the 9-11 attacks. And Dr. Hauer, given your expertise in this field, how do you think emergency management has evolved since 9-11? Well, Michael, it... um... It has changed uh, dramatically. When I first got into emergency management, uh, I was deputy director of emergency medical services for the city of New York. And uh, emergency management was an afterthought. Um, nobody paid much attention for, to it. It really grew out of the old civil defense mindset and it, it really was not well respected. It was not an equal player. Um, other agencies didn't really uh, pay any uh, mind to it. Um, when I uh, came back to New York and started building the mayor's office of emergency management, it was the first time New York City had a real office of emergency management. What's happened uh, since then uh, in New York and cities around the country, because very few, if any, cities around the country had emergency management agencies. Most were at the state level. Um, But uh, we saw an evolution of emergency management from an outlier that uh, was really not uh, a part of public safety as far as an equal partner. Uh, The emergency management function evolved into a major component of public safety. In New York City, we grew from when I took over uh, in 1990, uh, January of 96, uh, I started the office with two people. The office now has 220 people. Around the country, you see emergency management offices in major cities. Some are in police departments, some are in fire departments, but they are equal players and they are looked upon as a critical asset in both planning for responding and helping coordinate response uh, and recovering from uh, incidents, whether they're small uh, or large. Um, A big part of what emergency management uh, has uh, done is is they have really, uh, they're now, um, emergency management doesn't take over. Emergency management coordinates. Uh, It's not their role. Police do the law enforcement issues Fire does fire-related issues. 
emergency management's role is to coordinate uh, activities of, across multiple agencies. And they're finding over the last 20 years since 9-11 uh, as more offices of emergency management have evolved or, or been created uh, at, at the local level, um, both city and county, uh, that uh, it, emergency management plays a critical role in uh, interacting with uh, all the agencies and not just police and fire, but uh, Department of Transportation, Department of Parks, uh, Department of Sanitation, road crews, um, uh, Department of Health. Uh, during a pandemic, they're very uh, central uh, towards helping coordinate uh, what's going on in the pandemic um, in supporting the Department of Health. So we've seen a, a significant uh, growth in the number of agencies and a, a broadening of the role uh, of emergency management agency. In addition, emergency management agency are the pipeline to the state, then to the federal agencies uh, for coordination and for funding, uh, which uh, historically was not always the case. So we've seen emergency management agencies become an equal player in public safety, which was not always something we saw prior to 9-11. When I was commissioner in New York City, uh, because emergency management was part of the mayor's office, um, I had an equal seat at the table with the police commissioner and the fire commissioner uh, because I reported directly to the mayor. So I was able to um, uh, move things in the right direction uh, when there was either friction, whether there was um, uh, stress on the agencies. Our role was to get uh, police and fire the resources they need needed to um, get their job done. Simple example, building collapse. If the fire department needed cranes, we were able to get them uh, very quickly. Fire chief would talk to us. We were able to reach out and get them whatever resources they needed. Uh, so emergency management has evolved into a, uh, a, a major player uh, in dealing with um, incidents uh, from the small to the large. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, and I, I had, as you were speaking, I was circling some things on a sheet of paper in front of me because OEM used to basically get no credit at all. They were kind of pushed down below. And truth be told, they are the coordination center, right? So we have such specialized groups with police, fire, and EMS and such incredible talent, but we always found that they never really spoke to each other. And the OEM portion of that brings those talents together, but also brings in all of those ancillary services like you spoke of with DOT and all of these other individuals that may need, well, not may, will need to be brought in on a disaster that brings them to the table in a coordinated effort. So yeah, there's no question that OEM has evolved so much over the last 20 years. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct, Mike. 
Chief Plogger, from your perspective, um, have we done enough to improve the interoperability platform amongst the response community? And, and, and what are some of your thoughts uh, of, on the greatest advancements that you have seen over the last 20 years as far as interoperability is concerned? Well, Mike, uh, I, I think uh, that's a, obviously a very probing question because um, the, the test will be the next incident that responders respond to, uh, whether or not we've done enough. Um, and, and as you know, in the emergency response industry, we regularly do hot washes, and that is an after action review to determine uh, how we could have improved on the incident, how we uh, could have uh, managed the, the situation better. Uh, because our business is to prevent harm, whether it's uh, because there's a medical emergency, we're trying to access the acute care quickly enough and manage the harm that the individual is facing because of a medical crisis. Uh, whether it's a building on fire, uh, how do we manage that particular aspect of it? Uh, and, and again, the hot washes will tell us whether or not we've done enough on the interoperability perspective. Um, I, I think the, the, my own personal opinion is I, I think that we are working our way towards uh, that particular arena and in a level that will, uh, I think, far exceed uh, where we are now. And I'm, what I'm talking about is uh, things like 5G, things like uh, the, the use of cellular uh, push-to-talk uh, interface with uh, land mobile radio systems, which uh, almost every community in, in the world has invested in heavily for their responders. Uh, so I, I think the... Um, we have a, a bright future ahead of us uh, when it comes to interoperability. Uh, we also have a, a bright uh, potential uh, to sort things out. Uh, and and uh, I'm really uh, excited about the, the, the capabilities that we bring together or will be brought to, for us uh, with the 5G world. Uh, cellular, uh, the advent of, of a bringing a personal computer on your hip uh, to an incident uh, so that you can direct, get direct access to the medical community, uh, medical records, the entire uh, future is, is a pretty amazing when you stop to think about it. So uh, I, I think um, uh, we're in a great place, uh, but we're headed towards a better place. Would you say that it's not a technology problem, and the interoperability is not an issue of not having the resources, but it's more of a people problem because <laughs> training individuals on what exists, how to use it, and simply put, how to coordinate and to work together is one of the largest challenges. Well, I also think that uh, as we embrace new technology, as we embrace the, the new environment that we're building, uh, that it is going to be a training issue, that it is going to be a, a people issue, uh, but we really have great people. They're, they've demonstrated time and time again how trainable they are, how they're able to adapt to the new world. Uh, they are just simply good people doing good things for their communities as they go about preventing harm, as they go about 
interrupting the things that endanger us, whether it's uh, man-made, uh, whether it's a natural disaster, uh, or simply uh, it, it happened. Uh, and so we're prepared to deal with whatever it happened. Um, and so I, I think you're right. There is a, a training piece. There is a people piece to it. Um, but I, I think we're able to, we've demonstrated that we're able to manage it because we do a great job of bringing on good, good people. Well, gentlemen, I know this is a difficult week and you're certainly busy. And I, I want to sincerely thank you for taking the time to come on. Never forgetting that day is important and honoring the fallen by constantly working to improve our capabilities is, is exactly what you're doing by serving on the Verizon First Responder Advisory Council. Understanding the challenges associated with interoperability is one thing, but committing to finding solutions is exactly what you're doing in association with Verizon. And I thank you for that. Well, thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this special edition of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. 20 years later, we will never forget. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 